Welcome to Belfast City Vineyard, where we are pursuing formation in the presence of Jesus, community gathered around Him, and the impact He empowers us to bring in our families, city, and the world. The following message was given at one of our Sunday services. For more information, visit our website at BelfastCityVineyard.com. Hello, my name is Pete O'Halloran. I'm a member of the pastoral care team here at Belfast City Vineyard. And today I'm gonna be talking to you about Palm Sunday. If you've grown up in Northern Ireland or in another country with a Christian heritage, you'll be very familiar with the Easter story, how Jesus Christ was crucified on Good Friday, buried on Holy Saturday, and then raised to life on Easter Sunday. And because the story is so familiar, it's easy to miss the full significance of these events as Easter rolls around for another year and we drown in chocolate and Easter bunnies. But if we stop and look and reflect on the Gospel accounts, we'll find a depth of meaning and relevance that may surprise us. So let's do that now. The Easter time event I want us to focus on today is known as Palm Sunday, which marks the beginning of what we call Holy Week. You can find this reported in Matthew chapter 21, as well as in the other Gospels. Uh, Jesus has travelled to Jerusalem, which is Israel's capital city, and now he makes a triumphant entrance, uh, with the people spreading palm branches on the road before him, which is why we call it Palm Sunday. In the week that follows, Jesus will come into further conflict with the religious and civil rulers of Israel. And on the Thursday, he will celebrate the Passover with his disciples and and introduce, institute the Lord's Supper. Um, On Friday, he'll be arrested by the religious authorities. He'll be unjustly tried by the Roman governor and crucified, nailed to a cross. By 3 p.m. on Friday afternoon, he'll be dead. By 6 p.m., he'll be buried in a tomb. On the Saturday, as the soldiers guard the tomb and his friends and his disciples and his family mourn, um, all will be quiet, everything will be dark. But on the Sunday, his followers will go to the tomb and find it empty. Then they'll meet with Jesus himself, alive and well, risen from the dead. Well, that's the background, and with that in the background, let's read the account of Palm Sunday from Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 17. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. And at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfil what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. 
A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? they asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read, from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. I want to draw out three things from this passage. The first thing is that Jesus is the King of Israel, the divine King of Israel and the ruler of the whole world. The second thing is the character and the mission of the King that he is the gentle king who has come to lay down his life for his people. And the third thing, drawing those two things together, because he is the ruler of the universe and because he is the gentle king, we can trust him when we suffer. So three things. First, he's the divine king, the ruler of the whole world. Second, he's the gentle king who has come to lay down his life for his people. And thirdly, Because he is the ruler and because he is the gentle king, we can trust him when we suffer. So the first thing we see in this passage is that Jesus is the king. We see him exercising his kingly authority, uh, telling his disciples that all they need to say when they're taking the donkeys is, the Lord needs them. Then we see him deliberately choosing to enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey, Uh, not on foot like everyone else, but Uh, like a king peacefully entering his own city. And Matthew points out that in doing this, uh, Jesus is consciously taking the role of the king who was predicted 500 years before by the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. Then we see the crowd calling Jesus son of David, referring to the promise made long ago to King David that his descendant would sit on Israel's throne forever. And this is a name that Jesus accepts as perfectly appropriate when the children call out in the temple. We see Jesus taking charge of the temple. Uh, It's the very centre of the nation's religious and political life. And he throws out the traders who who bought and sold there. And the people seem to recognise that Jesus is coming in the name of the Lord. And Matthew shows that there is divine planning and divine authority for his actions. Jesus is doing these things with the authority of God himself. And consequently, the whole city is stirred up. And actually, they're asking, who is this? Which is a very good question. 
The crowds think he's at least a prophet. But the answer Matthew gives is that, is that this is God's anointed king and messiah coming to take charge of the city. Well, you might say that's very interesting for those people long ago and far away. But what has it got to do with me? Well, it has everything to do with you and me. You see, the Bible doesn't present Jesus simply as a, an Old Testament prophet, one of the prophets of ancient Israel. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus is presented to us as God made man, as the creator and upholder of the universe, as the saviour and judge of all humanity. The Apostle Paul summarises this in his letter to the Colossians. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, we read this. The Son, meaning Jesus, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, shed on the cross. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that God raised him from the dead and there's good evidence that that really happened. I believe that Jesus rules this world and this universe and that he will return to bring justice, healing and restoration. And if that's true, then these events are not just for those long ago and far away. They're for you and they're for me, right here and right now. If Jesus really is alive, and if he is the creator and king of the world, and if he is returning to bring justice and restoration, then that raises another very important question. What sort of king is he? Well, what does Matthew say about this? What sort of king is he? What is he going to do in Jerusalem? Well, on Palm Sunday, Jesus himself shows us what sort of king he is by choosing to embody the king prophesied by Zechariah 500 years earlier. Zechariah's short book, which you can find in the Old Testament section of the Bible, presents the king as a good shepherd of his people. He's coming to forgive their sins, to rescue them from their evil rulers, and to pour out, pour out the Spirit of God upon them. But in a strange twist, Zechariah also prophesies that the people will turn against this good shepherd. And even stranger, that God himself will arrange for this good shepherd to be struck down and killed. By presenting himself as Zechariah's good shepherd, Jesus is telling the people of Jerusalem what sort of king he is and what he's come to do.
Yes, he is the coming Messiah in the line of King David. Yes, he speaks and acts with divine authority. Yes, he has come to judge the temple and the religious rulers. But he is also the gentle and humble king who comes to forgive the sins of his people, to heal their sicknesses and to pour out his spirit on them. And to achieve this forgiveness, to fulfil God's plan, he must be struck down and killed. Not because he's a bad shepherd, but because he is the good shepherd. The king who cares for his people, who bears their sins, who accepts the punishment for their wrongdoing so that they can be reconciled with their Father in heaven. Jesus is looking forward to his cross and resurrection and he's saying, this is the sort of king I am. This is what I'm like. Let's think about that some more. What is Jesus like? But by entering Jerusalem in this way, Jesus puts one particular quality on display. Matthew writes, See, your king comes to you gentle. What sort of king is he? He is the gentle king. And this reminds us of some words that Jesus spoke earlier on in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 11. Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Uh, Dane Ortland, in a book I recommend you read called Gentle and Lowly, writes this. In the one place in the Bible where the Son of God pulls back the veil and lets us peer way down into the core of who he is, we are not told that he is austere and demanding in heart. We are not told that he is exalted and dignified in heart. We are not even told that he is joyful and generous in heart. Letting Jesus set the terms, his surprising claim is that he is gentle and lowly in heart. So in the only place in all four Gospels where Jesus directly tells us what is in his heart, the core of his character, he says, I am gentle and lowly of heart. Well, that leads us to our third point. If Jesus is both the ruler of the universe and the gentle king, what does that mean for us when we're suffering? Well, first let me ask you a question. Are you suffering? The answer to that question has got to be either yes or not at the moment. We live in a world that is full of joys and wonderful experiences, but it's also a world of suffering and difficulty. So where is our king when we suffer? I can't hope to provide a full answer to that question. Suffering is a deep and a painful mystery. But let me draw out some important themes from this Palm Sunday story. The first thing we see is that Jesus is the great king, the creator and ruler of this world. So we can trust that our suffering is not a meaningless accident. 
The worst thing that has ever happened to anybody is the crucifixion of the sinless, spotless, gentle, humble Son of God. Yet the Apostle Peter tells us that this happened by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And of course that that terrible event opened the way for us to be forgiven and ultimately for the whole creation to be restored. So even when we don't understand why bad things are happening to us, our Good Shepherd has a good reason for everything that comes into our lives. Let me tell you a story. Many years ago, when our daughter Katie was about 18 months old, she needed an operation to preserve the sight in her eye. We knew this would cause her pain and and distress, but we couldn't fully explain that to her. She was too young to understand. But we had been caring for her all her life, so she knew that we loved her and she trusted us. Now, at the time, I was a charge nurse in an intensive care unit that looked after children and babies who were having heart surgery. So I was no stranger to operating theatres. So I was allowed to carry Katie into the room where they'd be putting her to sleep for her operation. And she lay there in my arms, looking up at me. The anaesthetist put a needle in the back of her hand and and I flinched. Um, He gave her a sedative and she went all floppy in my arms and I nearly fainted. And I quickly handed her over and and rushed back to the waiting room. Now, even though she couldn't understand why I was letting her suffer. Katie trusted me because I was her dad and she knew because I'd looked after her all her life that I loved her. Well, if Katie could trust her dad, how much more should we trust our Father in heaven who is so much wiser than we are and who loves us so much that he gave his only son for our sakes? I felt for Katie as she went through that operation, I I would have taken her place if I could. But Jesus really did step into our place. He suffered unimaginable physical and spiritual pain to pay for our sins and reconcile us to the Father. You see, Jesus isn't only our creator and ruler, he is our gentle king. He isn't only far above us in, in glory, He's also down beside us in the grit, in the grime, in the, in the pain and the disappointment. You see, when we suffer and experience difficulties, Jesus is not only working out his good purposes for our lives, he's also sharing our suffering. His heart is tied to our hearts. Because he knows what it is to suffer, we can come to him knowing that he will respond with compassion and understanding. He knows how we feel and he feels for us. He is gentle and lowly in heart. He calls the weary and the burdened to come to him and find rest, find rest for their souls. Well, perhaps you want to come to Jesus, but you're afraid. Afraid that he will judge you or reject you or punish you. But he is our gentle king. Have you committed some horrible sins? This gentle king can forgive you and make you clean again. 
Have you made a mess of your life? This gentle, powerful king can rescue you and get you back on the right track. Are you suffering physically, emotionally, spiritually? This great king can put you back together again. And sometimes he'll do that quickly. But sometimes it will take much longer. For all of us, there'll be things that we must suffer until he returns. But when he returns, he's promised to wipe away every tear from our eyes, to be with us forever, to do away with death and grief and crying and pain, and to make everything new in all creation. Meantime, let's listen to his words and trust his promises. Close your eyes and let him speak to you from his heart to your heart. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to the gentle king. Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information about what's happening in the life of our church, or if you have any questions or comments, head over to BelfastCityVineyard.com.